Welcome listeners to Sleep, Eat, Perform and Repeat. This is a podcast on high performance. It'll be presented by myself, David Clancy, and my two co-hosts, Connor Gavin and Kieran Dunn. What we're striving to achieve here is figure out what makes high performing individuals tick, why they do what they do, and why are they successful. Rate and review, share with your friends, but most importantly, enjoy. Hey guys, so today we spoke with Glenn Stewart, he's the high performance manager of the West Coast Eagles Aussie Rules team out in Perth. So we spoke about high performance culture, how you build it, how you sustain it, and also who he thinks are the leaders in this arena in professional sport worldwide. We get his thoughts on where the future of sports science lies and also what makes the research community in professional sport in Australia as innovative as they are. So hope you enjoyed the episode and as usual for any more information on this episode or any of our other episodes, just check out sleepeatperformrepeat.com. Welcome everybody to another episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat. Today myself and Connor are very privileged and honoured to be able to speak to Mr. Glenn Stewart, all the way from Australia. I'm going to hand over to Connor, who's going to introduce Glenn and his background for you all today. Perfect. So, yeah, uh, welcome, Glenn. So, I know Glenn from uh, a few years ago, many years ago now at this stage, working with the West Coast Eagles. So, Glenn is the high performance manager of the Eagles. He's been in that role since 1997, and prior to that, was their strength coach since 1992. So, he's been involved with the Eagles for a long time now and has been involved with them for all four of their premierships that they've gotten to date alongside 20 finals campaigns as well, which is pretty impressive. Apart from the Aussie rules background that Glenn has, he's also got master's degrees in physical education, diplomas in education from UWA. Uh, He's a level five coach with Australian track and field. So he's coached Olympians and Commonwealth athletes and World Cup athletes. Uh, And a fact I actually didn't know about you, Glenn, you're also a former Australian representative in the long jump, which I'm very impressed to to hear about that. Uh, So my my quiz you on that a bit. Yeah. And then also he's a well-known author. So he's written two coaching books and um, he's co-authored a number of published research papers throughout his career. So very, very uh, happy and honoured, as David said, to speak to you today, Glenn. Uh, so first of all, I know you're mid-season down there. How's life down in Perth at the moment? It's all going well this year for you? Um, yeah, we're probably trucking along OK at the moment. Uh, we would have liked to have maybe won, maybe one or two more games. Um, but, you know, we're right in the mix and that's where we, we hope to be. Um, so um, we're getting to the business end the latter part of the year. So we need our players to stand up and put us in a good position to, to march into the finals, hopefully. Now, Glenn, I, I've looked a little bit into your background and you're obviously someone who's been part of an extremely successful organisation for two decades. So is there anything you can attribute as to why the West Coast Eagles have been so consistently successful. You've had ups and downs, but are there are there any points you can thread to that that is why we've managed to keep on excelling at this point in time? I think one of the things is we've had uh, three, four, five key staff members that have been part of the club for that duration. So uh, there's this enormous stability um, in the club, and I think I think that makes a significant difference um, in, in a way that a club functions. Um, and, and second to that, when we appoint coaches, um, I think obviously our recruiting 
approach must be pretty good in that area because our coaches uh, are quite durable and last the distance as well. So we, we haven't been a club that's found that it's chopped and changed um, its staff a lot. Um, we've had good coaches that have lasted a long time that have been given a chance to incorporate the plan and their vision. Um, when you put those things together, I, I think that provides a really stable background. And we're very clear about our processes. I, I think one thing about the West Coast Eagles is um, we're a very system and structure orientated club and um, so things aren't done by whims or spur of the moment it's everything's well planned well orchestrated and then once we enact a plan we reflect on it uh, make alterations and then you know have have another go at it so I think those things all contribute um, to our success. Okay so then obviously since even in the last decade there's been some fairly big highs and lows or, or just over a decade if you go back to 20, 2006 when the kind of the second last title was won so since then obviously the results weren't as good around 2010, 2011 and then you've kind of come back up again since then so is it, is it hard to avoid knee-jerk reactions in those seasons where things don't go according to plan or is it very much no we are still kind of convinced we're on the right track here with our our sports science programs with our SNC, with our coaching. Um, how did you guys approach that, or what's your thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, well, our coach during that period was John Warsall. So he took over in 2002, and his last year at the club was 2013. So he's gone through two complete cycles, um, if you like, from 2002 uh, to 2010, as you alluded to. And then rebuilt again from the end of 2010 up to 2013, and I, and I know during that period, um, 2009, 2010, um, he was very, very clear on what he wanted in terms of the club and, and the playing squad. But he also was very clear in what he wanted from sports science and strength and conditioning, and he didn't waver um, from from his view. So it was a matter of uh, sticking to the course. Um, all his staff supporting him and supporting the players um, and having great belief that this was the right path and that it was just a matter of time that with good decisions um, and our, our pretty solid processes that we would come through um, and quickly turn it around and that's exactly what happened. And um, I mean, the same players, in 2010 we finished 16th or 17th and then 2011 finished fourth um, with the same playing group. It was just a matter of tweaking a few things and, and staying the course. So um, I think that's probably the, the, the reason that we've been able to come out of the pit, so to speak. Now, you had mentioned that you've managed to retain or develop certain key individuals that have helped keep West Coast Eagles to a very successful standard for a long time. Are there any other teams or organisations outside of your organisation that you draw energy from or look to in terms of structures, processes, culture, outside of outside of the realms maybe of AFL even? Yeah, um, well, we're certainly limited in what we can do uh, within the AFL. Um, it's a very, very competitive industry and um, the only way you can sort of get a, a glimpse of, of what another AFL club might do, and, and, and I believe all AFL clubs 
uh, very well organised and very well structured. The only way you might get a glimpse into another club is if you recruit a player that's been at the club or recruit a staff member, uh, you know, a coach or another staff member that's come from the club. We probably obtain a lot of our knowledge uh, externally. So, of course, um, I mean, as you alluded to at the start, I've been very, very fortunate to be having been involved with West Coast for two decades full-time. And so I've been lucky enough to make a large number of contact, contacts internationally. We drew a lot of information from uh, a visit I made to the All Blacks uh, one year. Um, we also have some really good ties with a couple of NFL clubs and I've been able to draw on some information from them. Um, but in particular, if I was to sort of isolate one thing, I would say um, the Australian Institute of Sport. Uh, we've been very lucky um, to have had some really good relationships with some of the staff at uh, the Australian Institute of Sport. We've been involved with some research with them, with some very clear thinkers, um, and I think that's also helped us enormously, um, that tie with that sort of body um, that, that is independent of uh, professional sport uh, and, and looks after the welfare of many, many different sports. And I think they've been uh, very helpful. And then finally, I would also add the University of Western Australia, um, where you know, historically we've had um, some good relationships and recently uh, with our sponsors, ECU, uh, Edith Cowan University, the two of them have also been of great assistance and enabled us to put in place pretty good practices. Okay. So, so Glenn, you mentioned there at the start about stability and how it's been a big factor in the Eagles' success over the last few few years. Are there any other kind of key components you would say are crucial for, for let's say I want to set up my own team. There's a new uh, AFL expansion team here in Dublin and I want to set them up. What are the key components to like developing a, a successful culture? Obviously, without giving away the, the state secrets, but what yeah. are the key things? Well, probably uh, the number one thing is to uh, recruit and staff with good people. I, I, I'm personally very big on that. Uh, it, it means that you don't have to get people that have the greatest technical knowledge um, at the start, because if you recruit and staff with good people, they have a thirst for knowledge. And so any gaps that they might have in their technical knowledge, they can quickly acquire because they have a passion for getting better. And when you employ good staff and good people with good values, uh, you're all aligned, um, you're all heading in the right direction, and you're doing it for the right reasons, you get pretty good results. So I think if you were starting a new AFL club, to use your example, uh, that, would be, that would be probably my starting point. Um, I also have a great belief in employing young, enthusiastic people. So if you look around our staff, um, we've got you know, predominantly uh, younger younger staff members who come without an enormous uh, background, but their enthusiasm and their youth uh, enable them to really jump in with both feet. Um, obviously, you need a few good hands, um, steadying hands. And I, I think the other thing, is and it's a bit of my mantra is that you really want to have clear processes so um, we we follow a model i guess where we have a plan we act on the plan uh, we review uh, the outcomes and then we make tweaks and then follow that process again and that's sort of embedded in our high performance unit and it's the way we operate and i think it's held us in good stead so 
you know, good, good enthusiastic people, uh, uh, young, um, with some technical knowledge and, and a really sound system that you can demonstrate to others, this is the way we do things. Um, and and, and that's, that's probably the foundation that I think has put us in good stead. And I would say to you, you know, if you're starting somewhere, I think they're the key planks for a successful organisation. Now, with regards to, say, principles and structures, we've seen a lot of inva- advancements in sports medicine, strength and conditioning, sports science over the last 20 years. GPS, load management, communication, multidisciplinary team orientation, all these sort of things. But what, what are the next two or three maybe areas or point of focus that you could say, all right, David and Connor, in the next five to 10 years, these are two or three things that you guys should focus on that could be the next big things. Is there anything, any advice you could give the two or three of us? Well, that's a, that's a really good question because uh, I guess if you'd asked that question 10 years ago, uh, we, we wouldn't have probably envisaged, we'd have enveloped, been enveloped by GPS technology like we have or, or, or uh, I think the most recent, not innovation, but line of thinking has been load management, which mm-hmm. you've alluded to. So if I was to if I was to look ahead and get a sense of where we might be heading, I, I think the mental side of the game still has an enormous gap, and I, and I know that you guys, you know, are physiotherapists, and and probably, uh, you know, that's not your area, and and you. Know, for some gems in your area, but I do believe that we haven't quite we haven't quite tapped that area yet. Yeah. Um, I'm still really interested in load management, um, the effect of having time off and diminishing load and low chronic load. Um, the reason I say that is that there's a push um, in professional sports, in particular, for uh, mental health, well-being. Uh, holistic approaches and what happens with that view is well we need to get players away from the club we need to give them time off Uh, we need to give them the opportunity to rest and recover uh, mentally and physically and so there's an increasing amount of of downtime uh, which is enforced by collective bargaining agreements and player unions and uh, people in the mental and health well-being area and, and I can understand the logic but interestingly, the repercussion of that is the increased risk of injury that comes with reducing your chronic load and we're having too much time off. So I think we still need to understand this balance between uh, health, uh, mental health and well-being and the risk in minimising load. And I'm not sure where that sits at the moment. That might be uh, like the next gem is, try, is trying to get that right. Uh, and I think... Probably hand in hand with that is the, the personal training side of things. Do, do we go down a path where we might have 10 or 15 staff in a team working with small groups of two or three players mm-hmm. uh, rather than the traditional three or four physios, the three or four strength conditioning coaches working with a squad of 30 or 40? Uh, there still seems an opportunity to individually tailor um, training programs. On the medical side, I mean, there'll be some technology. There, there could be genetics, uh, assessing genetics. There, there could be a range of other technological advances in in medical on the medical side, which hastens recovery. 
but I probably can't see that myself necessarily. It's probably those other things. I've definitely seen that kind of more individualized, specialized approach to high professional athletes in high performing units over the last couple of years, and mainly actually from Australians. So actually, I've yeah. been good friends with Les Gellis from the Institute of Sport and a fella called Phil Coles. And they yep. they both brought that kind of niche in terms of let's try to compartmentalize and have a couple of people looking after two or three players and let's look after them yep. really well and deeply. And yep. then there's kind of one or two people responsible for those two or three players. And then there's maybe an overarching yep. hierarchical structure overseeing it. And it seems to have been quite successful from, from afar anyway. It's something I've seen kind of from a yep. distance over the last couple of years. Well, if you expand the logic of that, I think you would find most sporting organisations, and you guys would be involved in this yourselves, screen players, say, at the start of a week. So, uh, you know, you, you bring your squad in and you screen them on a Monday uh, or, or their first session. You make a determination on what the current physical state is of a player, uh, what their current mental state is, and then you adjust training uh, based on that screen and you might revisit it one or two times a week. If that logic holds true, then you'll find that by having smaller groups and more coaches, you would be doing that process of screening nearly on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And they know their players so well that training is just tweaked, managed, um, altered on a, on a daily basis because of the result of a daily screen because the guys managing those players get to understand the player and understand the nuances of the player and then in turn you'd be able to make minute adjustments on the day which obviously benefits the player so I agree I think your comment is good and I think there's definitely people around uh, around the international sporting scene that are looking that way for sure Very good. okay so you mentioned there um, Glenn about you traveled around and obviously went to speak to the All Blacks a couple of NFL teams um, to, to try and gain some lessons but in terms of Aussie rules football what are the what are the unique challenges you face as a sports scientist and a high performance manager with the sport is there anything that you find kind of has changed over the last five years whether it's a greater emphasis on now conditioning or less of an emphasis on strength anything like that that's kind of challenging yeah. at the moment or will be challenging in the next few years yeah well, I think I think in my time uh, when I first started, uh, we definitely had a strength, mass, size, hypertrophy focus, and the game is now a running game. Um, so I think there's been a tilt uh, away from just pure strength and the ability to generate force to to uh, a more aerobic, uh, sort of anaerobic type of athlete. So we've gone from maybe you know, the big bulky strong guy to a 400, 800 metre runner type. And that's changed the way we train. So I think I think that's one one change that I've seen in, in football. The, the challenge is Australian rules football requires a multitude of different physical capacities. So, you know, you have to be able to run 15 kilometres a game, but those that can do it with incredibly high acceleration the ability to accelerate quickly have an advantage. There, there is obviously the collisions, uh, the tackling and the physical nature of the game. And then once we're in season, week to week, it's very hard to actually train the guys and from one game to the 
next, you're basically in recovery mode. Um, so when I first started, uh, the coaches, and me included, uh, we just trained the boys uh, and we trained and trained and trained. And now we, we find the game is so demanding, we can't train in huge blocks um, between, between games. And, and I know there are some strength and conditioning specialists who say, well, you can, you just don't want to push them um, because you're afraid of breaking them down. But we definitely know we want our best players to play, so we need um, to balance the need to improve with the need to have your best players on the paddock. So I think, I think there's been that change uh, as well. So I think the game is unique because of all the qualities that are in it. And you've got to get that uh, effect of increasing strength, increasing aerobic capacity, increasing speed. And it's hard getting that balance between all those concurrent training sessions that you might need to include in a week. Now, Glenn, what, what may have helped you working in the AFL has probably been your ability to draw on having cross-pollinated across other different sports. You've seen athletes from other different backgrounds and obviously been a long jumper yourself. What have you managed to draw maybe from track and field, from Commonwealth experience, Olympic experience that has helped you help feed into a player to help him evolve and blossom as an AFL player? Um, I think specificity of training would be one. Mm. Um, Trying to identify very clearly what you need uh, and then training that. So in the weights room, uh, for instance, in strength programs for, for jumpers, um, they're very specific about what they need and and, and, it, and you're constantly reinforcing the physical qualities that are necessary to be a great long jumper or a great triple jumper or a great sprinter. And I think that does apply uh, to the AFL. I, th- I think you need to have a real clear plan uh, on what the player needs to be able to play their role on the field and, and what are the specific training interventions we can do to help them play that role, balanced with making them more durable. If we can make them more durable, we can do more training. And if we can do more training, we can improve them um, and keep them on the paddock. So it's, uh, I think I've drawn that uh, from other sports. And certainly there's been a groundswell in the, in the latter years, particularly in rugby, uh, where there's been a great emphasis on running technique and running efficiency and running proficiency. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of rugby teams have brought in external track and field coaches and running coaches um, to improve the quality of running, especially at high, higher speeds. Uh, so that's certainly drawing on other sports. And then we also draw on sports tackling. Um, so we draw on the rugby codes and, and to a lesser extent, NFL. And then in tactics, strategies, uh, we've drawn on not so much us, the West Coast Eagles, but I certainly know teams have drawn on some of the, 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 the tactical considerations of other sport, um, you know, the world game, uh, and some aspects even of netball and basketball. So I, I think we can always learn from other sports, particularly if they're international sports, where you've got a vast, vast depth of research. Australian rules football is played, you know, on one continent one country um, by four states um, and we don't have a huge history of it and we're we're small compared to many of the other sports so we don't want to have narrow vision we want to draw on the knowledge of other sports 
the skill for us is how can we apply that knowledge. So I definitely think we do that. I think all of our clubs do that. And I think we're the better for it. Okay, very good. So Glenn, just to switch tack a little bit and go towards the players that you've dealt with over the last uh, two decades, are there any players that you've kind of, you can look back on reflection now and say, obviously, yeah, they improved a whole lot, kind of maybe what was a personal development or they improved a whole lot tactically because of coaching. But are there any players that really stood out to you that like, like Jesus, they have really come on because of SNC sports science input that if we weren't on top of our game as much as we are, they wouldn't quite be where they are? Wow, that's a, that's a great question. Because I, I think there's a multitude of players that, that obviously have improved and to really uh, isolate two or three and say, look, that's a direct product of something we have done, um, you know, would be very egocentric, egocentric of us. Sure. Um, I yeah. can think of, I, I certainly know this, that uh, we can definitely improve the strength of players, you know, rapidly improve strength, and there would be a large number of players that have improved greatly because we've made them stronger. That's not a quality that's difficult to change. And I would say there's a large number of players who, who we've definitely improved in their aerobic capacity. It's much harder uh, to, to change speed. Um, so there's players that you would say are not quick. Um, we, we can make them quicker, but we can't make them you know, <laughs> fast. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, the, the, the Brownlow medalist, Matt Prudis, would be one who's worked with coaches externally to the club before he came here. He worked with uh, a lot of our staff and he, he didn't become the quickest player, but he became quicker. And, and that really helped his game, uh, no doubt. I, I, think, I think probably there's too many players to probably just select one or two. Yeah. Um, ben Cousins springs to mind. Um, an incredibly hard trainer, uh, the 2004-05 Brownlow medalist. Um, he worked really on, on his lactate system so he could drop taggers and he had a massive change in the way he ran. There, there are a couple of examples, but you know, it's very hard to isolate two or three guys, I would think. Yeah, no, no problem. It's a testament to the, the good work being done down there, obviously. You're very much the epitome of coming from high performance, Glenn. So who better to ask the question, what does high performance mean to you? So there's probably two parts to that. Um, high performance, firstly, in the way that, that I conduct the role, um, and I'm not saying I'm right or wrong, it's just the way that I do it, is ensuring that we integrate all the different components that are involved in um, producing a player's performance, that so strength, conditioning, sports science, uh, medical, injury, uh, minimisation, uh, rehabilitation. 
High performance is about ensuring that all those areas function um, with great integration, um, with clarity, and with outcomes that are designed to benefit the player. So, so that's the way that I see it. It's, it's ensuring the systems are operating functionally, and true high performance is enabling a player to maximise his gifts. Mm. So... There wouldn't be a player in the AFL that doesn't have one particular talent. They can't get to this level unless they have a gift. We call it a one wood. So that they all have a one wood. A one, a one um, wood. And it's in a one wood. So when you play golf and uh, you bring out your one wood and you give it a whack, and that's the that's the big the big club that's going to make a difference. Right. So every player has their own one wood, whether they're they're fast, whether they've got courage, whether they've got great skill, eroded capacity. So our job is to make sure that that blossoms uh, and true high performance is ensuring that we provide them with the opportunity to be the best they can be. So it's the, it's the integration of all the systems to do that and then it's seeing the outcome and, and working on what needs to happen to ensure the individual and the player and the team, sorry, the individual and the team can be the best they can be. That that truly, in my opinion, is high performance. Perfect. So, Glenn, the next question um, we ask everyone when they come on here, and it's, it revolves around mindset, and it's basically if something goes wrong, kind of, or not according to plan, how do you regain the edge? So to give kind of a, a specific question, actually, I, I wanted to ask you this um, since it happened last year, but obviously for anyone not listening, the Eagles last year, they won the, they won the premiership, but they lost two of their more kind of influential, influential players along the way in that Nui and Andrew Gaff for different reasons. So when something like that, obviously something as big as that happens to the club, a lot of people writing you off. How did the club as a whole kind of go, right, do you know what, we're, we're pushing on. We've lost two of our better players for whatever reasons and now we want to, to push on. Do you circle the wagons or is it very much, let's go back to the plan, go back to basics? Or how did you guys all kind of come through that? Well, I, th- I think, I mean, I probably sound like a broken record, but you've got to back your system first. Um, and we always backed the, the way that we played and our coach is, is, is very, very good and um, our development coaches are very, very good. So the players that have to step up um, have been trained to know the system and they step into place knowing exactly what their role is and what's required of them. So, look, it's debatable. One could argue that, that you know you lose a star player and the player you're replacing him with um, may not be as elite, but the, the, the point is, He's part of a system and the system around him enables him to function and play his role. So I think uh, the first thing was that we had good players to replace them and we had, a, we had a good system. I think the second thing is, and how do you measure it and, and, and how do you understand it, there was just enormous belief. Um, it's a bit like a, a snowball going down a hill. It gathers momentum and, uh, you know, a snowball can... Uh, hit a jump and fly over the jump and instead of breaking up it stays together and still continues to grow and get bigger and I think when you have that belief um, parts can fall off but you keep gathering and you keep rolling on and I think by the time we got into the finals and we're, we're on the march so to speak, there was just enormous belief in the team and uh, you know, a player, a player steps in and replaces another player 
and he's taken along. He's just he, he follows the momentum and he plays his role. He's very clear on what he's got to do within the system, and and I think that's how great organisations operate. I mean, I I think one of the most successful sporting teams of its time would be the New England Patriots under Bill Belichick. Yeah. And if you have a look at the New England Patriots, I mean they they have a system the way they play and they can turn players over. You know, they move players on, they bring in other players, there's players there for the first year, and yet they're still successful because they've got a good group around them and they've got a very clear way of playing. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's sort of what happened last year. Yeah. It's like the do-your-job motto that you often hear them uh, coming out yeah. with. Yeah, um, here's your role. Yeah. Play your role. Perfect. And, um, you know, that's... I mean, it's a mantra espoused by many coaches, but it's being able to live the words, yeah. not just say it. It's ensuring that that occurs perfect so I have two more for you Glenn and we'll let you get back to your glass, sure. of, glass of red wine then um, <laughs> w- what are the three big areas of focus for you at the moment kind of in, say in, in your professional professional career are there three areas where you're going yeah I really need to be on top of these now over the coming years I know you mentioned it in workload but it might be kind of personal projects aside from your work yeah. with the Eagles yeah, um, I'm very focused on the professional development of our staff. Um, uh, I'm really trying to find opportunities for all the people in the high performance unit um, to develop, uh, grow, be- become better at their role and, and also expand their role so that um, they can have long careers um, in professional sport. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm quite passionate about that. Um, I'm, I'm really interested uh, in looking at other organisations and the way they structure up, the way they operate, their processes and systems. And a challenge for me is um, how can they do it better? So I've been very fortunate that I've had the opportunity to consult with some other clubs and assess other teams in other sports um, and try and help them um, improve their systems. And I really enjoy that. Um, and I have a, a sort of a clear way that I think people should operate. Um, and the third thing is um, coach development as well. I have, a, I have a great interest in coach development and helping coaches be better. Um, and, and again, it's not so much, uh, look, listen to what I say, listen to what I do and do what I say. It's look, here, here's what we know works, here's the theory, here's the research. Um, whether it comes from a business background or, a, or an educational background or, or, or true research, here it is. Here's how we apply it to sport and then here's how you can apply it in your role, in your sport, in your team. Uh, I love that process. So those three things probably uh, are where I sit at the moment and then my ability to use all of that with our team and help our team get better um, are my passions at the moment. So. Okay. Um, I'm focusing in those areas. Perfect. And then last last one for me, Glenn, is slightly more philosophical in nature. So since, well, when I was out with you guys at the Eagles, I was looking at kind of all the processes you had in place and it was amazing to see kind of how far advanced you guys were. And since I've come back to kind of Europe, I've worked in GA teams, worked with rugby teams, soccer teams in England, I know David has as well. And one of the things we're often struck by is how they reference Australians and particular Australian rules as being the pioneers of sports science and development and high performance. So I kind of just want to know, why do you think it is that you guys are 
number one seen at the forefront and number two potentially are at the forefront is it your educational institutions is it like a willingness to adapt new ideas um what, what do you think it is that puts you guys as the the kind of the gold standard in high performance sports to an extent yeah um I think there's a little bit of what I touched on previously if you just take specifically Australian rules football, which is um, it's unique to this country and it has unique qualities in the game so we can um, to get a competitive edge. So for the West Coast Eagles to be better than the other 17 teams, um, a lot of clubs base it around sports science and strength and conditioning. So therefore, they're always looking for cutting edge, the latest uh, and greatest technologies or processes um, uh, to, to get that competitive edge. So I think I think that, but I think historically Australia has really uh, embraced sports science and, and goes so far back to the Australian Institute of Sport and then the state institutes and academies, which have driven a lot of sports science. We're a very isolated country with a smallish population who are devout sport followers who want to perform well on the international stage. So for us to perform well, we need to have a real grasp of sports science and, and a real understanding of, of what's cutting edge and what's, what's leading the way. And I think we research it ourselves and we've got great people in all those institutions and clubs and teams. And I think it's a bit about the Australian ethos of, uh, you know, we've got, to, we've got to be the best at what we do. So I think there's a historical bent to it. I think there's um, the unique nature of Australian rules football and, and finding that edge. And then there's our own desire um, as a country um, to, to really, you know, push on and be as good as we can do. We've got uh, really good diversities with great sports science departments, um, good institutes. And I think all of that put together um, helps us lead the way. And I, and I do believe we lead the way, as you say, Connor, because you only have to look at American professional sport now and see the number of Australians that are in strength conditioning, sports science, high-performance roles, that, that as the world has started to discover that these Australian sports scientists are very, very good, uh, they're starting to be gobbled up by teams. Um, and, and I think it's those two or three reasons why we're very passionate about it. Glenn, you're obviously someone that um, has learned a lot about systems and processes. You you work on the Onewood, but all the other clubs for each and every one of your players over the last two decades, and you seem to work on the whole golf bag for all your staff. You're trying to get them to continuously evolve. So that's a testament to you as a person. I think I've never met you personally, but I think it's fair to say you seem like a very humble guy. You seem to be the last person that would say you've played a significant role with the West Coast Eagles, but it seems to be that your energy, passion, and continuous drive to help make that system better has made them consist consistently successful for a long period of time. So it's been a pleasure from myself and Connor talking to you today. Thanks very much for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's uh, great to be able to talk uh, to someone on the other side of the world in the middle of the afternoon. So <laughs> thanks very much. Thanks, Glenn. Cheers.